Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association, abridged from the book Flying the Line by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 5, The Livermore Affair, Part 2. When Joe Livermore's flight took off on the night of December 18, 1936, it was an error in judgment that was driven by his management's practice of pilot pushing. Livermore flew into a storm due to heavy pressure and a fear of losing his job after a dressing down he had received the previous week from his manager. When Livermore and his co-pilot Art Hayde were killed in the crash, Livermore's widow Lorna all but blamed his management for killing Joe. Captain Dave Banke joined with Lorna Livermore and called on regulators to do all they could to make air safety a primary concern and goal within the aviation industry. Between 1934 and 1938, from the air mail cancellations crisis until the passage of the Cornerstone Civil Aeronautics Act of 1938, the air transport industry was in constant turmoil. In Washington, the heavyweights were sparring over the shape of future federal law. ALPA began as a lightweight in 1934 and moved rapidly up to about middleweight status by 1938. It wasn't an easy climb. Nothing about the future was certain except that one bad error, one poorly chosen fight, one major political mistake would finish ALPA. It was a perilous time for the pilots who were struggling so hard to create a voice in Washington, footing their own bills, giving up their free time, and appearing as a chorus of moral support for Banky on the innumerable occasions when he testified before congressional committees. In June 1933, President Roosevelt signed legislation authorizing the creation of the National Recovery Administration. The NRA was the New Deal's biggest initiative during the early war on the Great Depression. It was premised on the notion that cooperation, rather than competition, could get the country back on its feet economically. The NRA was directed to oversee the creation of industry-wide codes of fair competition. The crucial part of establishing an industry's code was the hearing during which a mutual voluntary agreement on prices, profits, wages, and working conditions would be reached between representatives of management, labor, and consumers. At the August 1933 air transport code hearings, Banky pulled out all the stops to keep airline pilots exempt from any control by the code. Those NRA hearings were a good example of Banky's use of a platoon of uniformed airline pilots to establish an ALPA presence in Washington. Many pilots were puzzled by Banky's opposition to the inclusion of the pilots in the code. On the surface, having their wages and working conditions spelled out in the code appeared advantageous, as did the contractual provision requiring employers to bargain collectively with their employees and to recognize the right of labor unions to exist. But Banky became alarmed when he discovered that the operators were proposing ridiculously high maximums of 140 hours per month as in the Air Transport Code, higher than the 110 hours a month the Commerce Department established as the monthly maximum just two years prior in 1931. 
Banky had been battling to lower the maximum to 85 hours, so he fought hard to stay out of the code, preferring instead to seek specific congressional action on pilots' wages and hours. The code hearings were held in the ballroom of the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C., under the supervision of Malcolm Muir, Deputy Director of the Recovery Administration. There was an all-star cast of airline executives present, so Banky made sure that well-known airline pilots were present as well, such as Hamilton Lee of United, who was probably the most senior professional pilot in the country, and Mal Freeberg of Northwest, who was a recipient of the Air Mail Pilot Medal of Honor. Even New York Mayor Ferrello LaGuardia flew down to attend, with Banky meeting him at the Washington Hoover Airport with a contingent of airline pilots in full uniform. The primary fear was that if they did not succeed in establishing ALPA as an effective vehicle for pilot representation, pilots would almost certainly never get another chance. The 1920s were littered with failed experiments like ALPA, short-lived organizations bearing prestigious names like the Air Mail Pilots of America, the National Air Pilots Association, and the Professional Pilots of America. As we have seen, the first airline pilots were under no illusions about their economic vulnerability or the ease with which their employers could replace them. They knew a prestigious name wasn't enough, nor was a glamorous image. Leadership, the ability to function as a group, and timing were everything. Leadership was something Dave Banky supplied, sometimes brilliantly. Functioning as a group was something the pilots were doing on two levels. First, with their peers, their fellow pilots, and second, as part of the American Federation of Labor, identifying themselves with the political and economic aspirations of the labor movement. Timing, although hard to categorize, essentially meant knowing when the iron was hot and how to use it to advance your interest. Of the three, timing was probably the most important factor, because even brilliant leadership and aggressive group action cannot succeed in the absence of opportunities. Dave Banke's genius lay in knowing when to press the issue of safety. Thanks to Lorna Livermore and his own gift for theatrics, Banke made the safety issue almost irresistible by 1938. In the anti-big business climate of the Depression years, Banky was adept at hitting the right rhetorical notes with his allegations that operators cared less about safety than about their profits. He did this in speeches that, despite their occasionally shrill, ungrammatical, and overly sentimental content, never struck people as being particularly radical. Partly, it was because of the way Banky looked. Although he seldom wore a tie, Banky had a very clean-cut appearance. He was, as more than one airline executive discovered, an exasperating foe to tangle with before a congressional committee. In another sense, Banky was something of a pioneer, thanks to a devastating new wrinkle he injected into the debate over airline safety, an attack on government bureaucrats. The feeling of ordinary people in the 1930s was that government power was good, but Banky argued that it needed watching. Specifically, Banky was highly critical of the authority the Commerce Department exerted over aviation, 
particularly in the area of accident investigation. On that point, Banky caught the public's eye, as he had survived a crash in 1934 and walked with a limp and a heavy cane, which served as constant reminders. While it was his first serious accident in nearly 20 years of flying and the result of dual engine failures, he had no doubt that if he and his co-pilot had not lived to defend themselves, pilot error would have been given as the cause of the crash. The thrust of Banky's argument was that only pilots could speak for safety, because only pilots had the same interest as the traveling public. Banky insisted that government officials were too closely tied to the industry they supposedly regulated, and when it came to investigating accidents, they often conspired with the airline operators to fix the blame on dead pilots. His argument was plausible because of a long history of interchangeable personnel moving through a revolving door between the Department of Commerce and the airlines. Banky maintained that the worst conflict of interest was that the Commerce Department, which maintained the airways and wrote regulations governing commercial aviation, was allowed to investigate itself. Banky wanted an independent federal agency to investigate accidents. The concept he was first to advocate for would ultimately become the National Transportation Safety Board decades later in 1966. The Livermore crash provided Banky with a forum from which to attack both the operators and government bureaucrats on the safety issue. The Commerce Department's Bureau of Air Commerce held a public hearing on airline safety in February 1937. This hearing was due to severe pressure the Commerce Department was under since mid-1936 thanks to a Senate investigation into the death of Senator Bronson Cutting of New Mexico on a TWA plane the previous year. The combination conference and investigation permitted interested parties to appear, but it discouraged those whose direct interest was not in air safety. In the past, Commerce Department hearings often degenerated into unfocused bowl sessions, featuring all sorts of aviation cranks and self-appointed experts. For this reason, the department restricted those who could participate. The fact that Banky was asked to join was a measure of ALPA's growing influence. Banky appeared on February 6, the final day of conference. By pointing out that the Department of Commerce had attributed 16 of the last 27 airline crashes to pilot error, Banky publicly raised for the first time the issue of pilot pushing. Banky explained that overzealous supervisors were regularly intimidating pilots into dangerous flights under threat of dismissal. He also alleged that the Commerce Department was doing nothing to stop the practice and said he had affidavits to prove his charges. Banky's testimony provoked anger from airline executives in attendance, among whom were American Cyrus Smith, United's William Patterson, and Eastern's Eddie Rickenbacker. With a quiet smile, Banky listened to the airline executives angrily deny any pilot pushing on their lines. When they were finished, Banky asked the chief of the Airline Inspection Division, Major Rudolf Schroeder, to confirm the existence of Lorna Livermore's deposition, which had not been made public yet because the investigation was still incomplete. The reluctant Schroeder had no choice but to make the information public. He read selected portions including the closing sentence of Lorna Livermore's deposition, 
which confirmed Banky's assertions of the practice of pilot pushing. Banky then called attention to an affidavit from Roy Warner, a recently fired Northwest pilot, which supported Mrs. Livermore's charges. Banky had succeeded in putting the operators on the defensive about the safety issue, and in doing so, he had seized the initiative. He now had his choice of two mutually exclusive courses of action. The first choice would be to grab all the headlines he could, levy a barrage of additional charges, and try to make more waves in commercial aviation's already troubled pond. Or he could take the high ground and make a reasonable deal in exchange for diffusing the pilot-pushing controversy. He chose the latter and publicly praised Northwest for changing its policies. In effect, Banky was using the Livermore crash and his widow to further Alpa's interests. He could have made a spectacle of this, but instead, he wanted to broker an arrangement. The desired outcome was for some kind of judicial device that would take account of the pilot's point of view. The costs, however, would be Lorna Livermore would now have to go forward alone on the pilot-pushing lawsuit against Northwest. After all, her husband might well have been totally wrong. Rather than Bob Mensing killing him, it might have well been Joe Livermore who killed co-pilot Art Hayde by willfully getting off of the electronic airways to visually fly too soon. It was admittedly a murky case, but the fact of the matter was that young co-pilots were up in arms about Joe Livermore and two other old captains, both of whom later got fired. Co-pilots did not have bidding rights in those days, so they flew with whichever captain they were assigned. Several of them had already flatly refused to fly with Livermore again because of his reputation for premature termination of IFR flights. In fact, it was said that he sometimes simply took off his headset under IFR conditions and continued flying blind by the seat of his pants. Banky knew what he was doing when he refused to render any further assistance to Lorna Livermore after having exploited the issue raised by her husband's death. She wanted Alpa to appear on her behalf in the legal action she brought against Northwest, alleging wrongful death under Washington state law. Both the Central Executive Council and the Northwest pilots agreed that Alpa should ignore her and do nothing further in the pilot-pushing case. Despite all this, Lorna Livermore won her lawsuit. A Spokane jury awarded her $37,500 in damages on January 17, 1939. Although the jury gave her only half of the $75,000 she had asked for, Northwest stood legally convicted of pilot pushing in the death of her husband. Northwest's legal counsel promised to appeal all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary, but they didn't. Enough was enough, and an appeal could only cause more bad publicity. By 1938, Alpa had positioned itself so favorably in Washington, thanks to Banky's skillful leveraging of episodes like the Livermore Affair, that it really could not lose. Everything was guaranteed. Collective bargaining contracts over and above federal minimum guarantees, a full partnership in the new aviation establishment called the Civil Aeronautics Administration, everything. 
particularly in the area of safety. Alpa had it made. The Livermore Affair was crucial in Banky's successful drive to make an independent safety board part of the Civil Aeronautics Act of 1938. But it had not come about overnight. No single issue, not even one as flashy as the Livermore Affair or its safety angle, can account for ALPA's extraordinary political success in Washington up to 1938. In order to understand that, we must go back to the beginning of the decade. Thank you for listening. This has been the second part of Chapter 5 of Flying the Line by George E. Hopkins, copyright 1982. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpa.org or on iTunes, Stitcher, or other podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. Production copyright ALPA 2019. All rights reserved.